am I in the context of the church? It's not just me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and the context He's put me in in the church. Ask yourself that question. It matters the context of who you are in the church. I mean, there's some people in this room who are business people. And I know that because I met you and we talked about this. And somehow the business people feel they are irrelevant in the church. And it's our fault as preachers because we make them feel irrelevant when if we catch kingdom, they mighty people of God playing the same role as us with effectiveness. We've got to celebrate. Who are you in the context of the church? Who's God made you to be? Who am I? Who am I in the context of the church? Third question, who am I in the context of the kingdom? See, if it's just the church, it's what's my role in the church? If it's in the kingdom, who am I in the kingdom? What do I get involved in? Then we find freedom in what God's called us to. Fourthly, who am I in the context of the world? Because the kingdom is about the world, not just your place. And I think when we ask those questions, it helps us find the divine call again. And I've had to do that regularly. And it's been difficult even in shutdown, not being global. And my call is to be traveling and I've been stuck. You, you begin to question a whole lot of stuff. But it's coming back to who am I? Who has He called me to be? Who am I in the local church? Who am I in the, in the kingdom? Who am I in the world? Stay in those places. Keep asking us questions. And I do believe we'll stay in the divine call of God and complete way more tasks going forward. Secondly, I think what stops us is unaware of what God's doing. This is a big deal, friend. I was saying to our team this morning, I'm not trying to be a hero here or brag. I think we're pretty good at, like the sons of Issachar, we are good at determining the times and knowing what to do. I think we can do that. I think we've done that well, transitioning in seasons and times. But there's a third element. We need to know, discern the times. We need to know what we what should be doing. But there's a third element that's probably missing for most of us. We're not good at knowing what God's doing in the season. You know, Paul was, in, uh, in Acts 18, he was preaching in the synagogue and he got abused. And they shouted at him and threw rocks at him and, and he got mad. I'm so glad he got mad. He had a moment of weakness. And he shook off his clothes and he said, your blood is on your hands. And he stormed out of the temple and he went next door to a man, to a household that worshipped God. And he was there, obviously quitting and ready to leave. The Lord shows up, gives him a dream, says to him, do not stop speaking. For I have many people in that region. They will not hurt you. They will not harm you. And then it goes on and says, then he stayed there for a year and a half. Because he didn't quit or give up. Because God showed him what God was doing that made him stay where he was. Amount of people who just say, I can't see it, I'm not seeing it, doesn't look like it's working, and we shut the door and we, we leave before this task complete. It's because we're unaware of what God's doing. Let's not just discern the times. Let's just know not what we should do. Let's find out what God is doing in it all. I think COVID would make so much more sense if we just saw what God's doing rather than what's happening and what must we do. I want to get better at discerning what God's doing. What are you doing? Because last time I looked, I'm here for you. 
We're here to serve you. What are you doing in all of this? You can't be nostalgic for an era that no longer exists. We've got to live in the now. We've got to partner with God's purpose and plans in this season, not waiting it out till the next season. Someone said cliche is present far too often when seasons of transition where we know less about the window of time in which we're living than what we really need to. Ignorance is not bliss if we're going to complete the tasks of God. And God's not quiet. He's not holding out. He's not wanting us to guess. He's revealing, but we've got to ask, what are you doing? It changes everything. I think we are able to discern, but we're not able to see what He's doing. Ask these questions. What must I see? But more than that, what do you want to show me? Now, I've started praying that. I'm serious. I've changed it. Because what, what must I see? What must I see? Well, you're going to see what you want to see when you ask that. What do you want to show me? My goodness. It opens up a realm. And even Scripture. And I've, you know how many times I've preached on Acts 20? I mean, it's been my go-to. Hey, look, we, when I took over this team, all, for 16 years, I preached Acts 20. And then one day I was like, Lord, what do you want me to see? And guess what? Something that was there for so long. I, did, I suddenly saw it. Why? Because He reveals more when you ask what He wants. Not what I see. What do you want me to see? How, how do I know what you're doing in this season? What do you want me to see? What do you want us to see? It's a dangerous thing because He'll reveal stuff that we hasn't seen before. But it's God wanting us to see. Leaders, please ask God that. Go to Scripture because it'll help us finish and complete tasks and be way more effective in the season. Reading the seasons. Seek God. Someone said the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is destined to fail. We are not called to manage God's people. We need God leading us, governing us. Seek God. Search the Scriptures. Not what must I see. What do you want to show me? I'll probably get in trouble saying this, but please stop quoting authors and let's quote the Word of God. There is no future in an author's perspective, including this author and that author and our author. I'm not saying don't read books. I'm saying stop reading the books at the expense of the Word of God. Search the Scriptures, not search the books that back your emphasis. I mean, we quote people. A.W. Tozer says this, and Dudley Daniel says that, and I'm all for that. That's cool, but what about what God says? Let's, how about a bit of that? You know the challenge for me? I lead SMI. So everywhere I go, everybody's about books. So what books are you reading? And I'm so embarrassed because I don't read them. And they say, what book are you reading? I'm like, this is going to sound so weird. They're like, what? Let me guess, the Bible. I'm like, mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I ask people. They ask me to this day, and and I, I want to say, well, I wish I could read that. And, and guys hand me books wherever I go. And now out of COVID, right? So suddenly it's leading after COVID, leading through COVID. And listen, I want to learn. I do. But from some dude who's never walked in it, why would I want to learn from them? They got an opinion. Last time I looked, the Bible's pretty clear through all seasons of what we're to do. So I'm not bagging books. I'm just saying, let's quote Scripture. Let's go to Scripture, and God spoke to me through this text rather than this download or podcast or some book I read. I'm reading this book, and it's so invigorating. What about the Word of God? Yeah, I'll get to that. You won't. 
can tell who reads what by what they're preaching. My concern is not enough people seem to be reading the Bible by what they preach. Sorry, guys. We're equipping, not blessing and blowing wind in your... I don't think we have anything to say except as a scripture. I'm done with opinions. I mean, we've seen what opinions have just done and continue to do in and out of the church. They don't work. While I'm here, let's talk. Let's talk about prophecy. Because it would seem the prophets got it pretty wrong about pretty much everything. Don't squirm, Ken, and some of you. But why do we run to prophets? Now, I'm probably going to get in trouble, and I, I believe in prophets, and I have them on my team, and they play a, a role, but they are not replacing the Word of God. We're not old covenant people who run to the prophets to tell us what God's saying. Nowhere. I mean, listen, this is probably going to blow your mind, and I haven't, it's dangerous to say, but I don't know if God's obliged to tell the prophets to tell us before He does anything. We quote a scripture in the Old Covenant of a context and say God will not do anything before He reveals it through prophets. Where do you see that in the New Testament? (laughs) Hello. So if it's the prophets, well then let's stone them because you Old Covenant. They got it wrong, let's throw rocks. I'm not mocking. I'm saying stop relying on a man's or woman's interpretation. They're godly, they're awesome. But here's what I've found when it comes to determining the times and prophecy. All of us, and I don't care what you say, even if you serve Jesus for a hundred years, you have a bias. You have a preference. And God put that in you, and some of it's good and some of it's not, but all of us have a preference. It's in our makeup. So when we prophesy, we have preference. We have bias. We all do. Whatever it is, we all have opinions, and we seem in this great country to want to always share them, especially as leaders. So it's in our opinions, our bias, our preference, what we're watching is determining what we're saying. And we're not linking prophecy to purpose. I don't know if God really wants us to know who wins the elections before the election. Now that's going to kill you, but why do we need to know? Seriously, why do we need to know? We might use one or two illustrations from the Old Testament where God revealed stuff, but what does it matter with all due respect? It matters to us, but clearly not to God. Last time I looked, I want to serve Him, not us. And I'm not saying don't vote, and I'm not saying if you don't get... But what I am saying is, why would God have to reveal? Why can't we wait and see? (laughs) All right. I, I, I just don't know if we need to know all this before it happens. Why? Because we're not linking it to the purposes of God. If we just link prophecy to purpose, then maybe we don't need to know before the election. We'll find out on the day. But all these dudes prophesying because they've watched Fox, they've watched this, they've watched that. I'm not mocking a biased opinion and wishing, heard other prophets tell them. So we're just all buying into how many of us are hearing God. 
I know that this is probably shaking some of your thinking, but let's shake it. And if I'm wrong, then I'm sorry, but I think I'm right. Otherwise, every four years we're going to live with this, oh dear, God's wrong again. (laughs) Or whatever, pandemics. Where were the prophets? No, no, where were we? I keep saying it's not the prophet's job to tell us about the pandemic. We should have gone to God and He was telling us. And looking back at some of the words we had, oh, suddenly, gee, you did tell us. We just didn't see it. Because we interpret it through our lenses of where we're at saying, that means God's going to bless us with release. Rather than He's going to release us by taking things away. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm not saying let's shut our ears to the, pro- the prophets. I'm saying let's stop blaming the prophets. Stop building our futures on the prophets' prophecy. And know that we only, at best, prophesy in part. It's needed, but it should help us go where God's called us to go. It shouldn't determine where God's called us to go. Is that all right, friends? I want to seek God. I want to search the Scriptures. I want to read the seasons. We are very good as leaders in reading seasons for people, but not for our own lives. And the prophets are great at hearing God for the world and for nations, but not their own lives. And I think that's God's way of forcing prophets to work with apostles and others to be accountable. If you can hear God for everything, why do you need anyone? And I remember guys like Mike Hanson, not dishonoring him, he would say to me, geez, Tyron, I can hear God going to reach, I can pick up what God's doing, but in my own life, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And I was like, that's a good thing, Mike. God wants you to be part of us speaking into your life rather than you telling everyone what to do all the time. But leaders love to tell others what they should do, but they're not good at telling themselves what to do because they're not good at hearing God for themselves. We've got to get better of... Talking about completing the task, reading our seasons, knowing when our season's over in that task, knowing when it's not over, when it feels like it's over and He has said it's not over, carry on, complete, finish, and so on. Are you with me? We've got to read all seasons. Also, we need to see, as I said, and know what He's doing. Prophetic words and so on. Prayer is so important in all those things. Okay, I've got to move quickly to the next. Thirdly, Nearly finished. What stops us is being unable to hear God. Undermining the divine call. Unaware of what God's doing. Thirdly, uh, unable to hear God. We still do the hearing God thing. I was quoted that, and it's all over the internet from our 2015 Global Equip because I stood up and said something. But it was shocking for us when we had a conversation, and someone asked one of my friends about their next steps. What are you doing? And they said to these people who were in ministry with us before, said, so what are you doing? What's your next step? And he said, well, he said, well I'm just trying to hear God for the next step. And they literally said, are you, you still do the hearing God thing. I'm just going to say to you, we, I, still do the hearing God thing. (laughs) And I want to strongly suggest, so should you. Because without the hearing God thing, forget completing any task and finishing any race. Forget any effectiveness. We still do the hearing God thing. And if you stopped, you better get back to it because that's what God showed us through COVID.
come back to what I'm doing. But I think some are unfamiliar with His voice. Jesus in John 10 said, my sheep know my voice. But I think we've become unfamiliar with the voice of God because we're listening to too many other voices. I'm going to quote A.W. Tozer after I said don't. But (laughs) I have read the Bible. So, but listen to this. This is what he said. He said, he just says it so nicely and I can blame him. But he said, the one who does not expect God to speak will discount every single time that God does speak. Now you see why I quoted him, right, Teeks? That's a good one, yeah. Let me also say, I think with the arrival of social media, we like to hear ourselves more than we like to hear God. Just while I'm on this hearing God thing, it's very hard to hear what God thinks when we go to God with what we want God to tell us. If you've decided what you want God to say, good luck hearing God and what He wants to say. I think those days are over. Where, Lord, I want to do this. Give me permission. I'm not looking for permission from God. I want direction from God. That's how we know we're in a safe place. Give me direction rather than I want your permission. I want to do this, but I, and listen, guys, some of the best preachers in the world are writing books and saying stuff, get God's per- permission. And I'm saying, don't get God's permission. Get God's direction. Then we will be able to hear what God's saying. Number four, our unwillingness to do what He says. It's great to hear God. The greatest privilege in my life is to hear God. The greatest challenge in my life is to do what God told me to do. And I want to tell you, we will not complete tasks if we're hearing God, but not doing what He said. I was recently in this meeting. Honestly, I was telling the team guys this morning. It was like, it was one of the greatest worship moments where everybody, you know how hard it is to get everybody, like everybody, even the guys at the back who were worshiping, hands raised. I mean, the prophecy and the scriptures were read out of Revelation and you know, the whole heaven and earth joined together. I mean, it was just one of those wows. And, and it was the majesty of heaven and the sovereignty of God. And honestly, it was like, for me, this is heaven. I looked around. I saw young and old on their knees in worship. It was just one of those wow. And then God interrupted my wow moment. And He dropped that Luke 6 in my heart. Why do people call me Lord, Lord? Yet do not do what I say. I didn't have the guts to stop and get up and tell everyone, hang on. (laughs) This is awesome, but God challenges us. But the challenge has come for us. We can have these moments like this evening of hands raised, and they're awesome, and there's nothing wrong, and they're good. But if we walk out of here saying, Sovereign Lord, rule and reign, and go and do our thing from here, He's not Lord. It's a game. And then He actually goes on and says, if you look, go read Luke chapter 6. We should preach more on that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? Then He says, this is what it is like. It's like a man who builds his house on the sand. Basically, what he's saying, it's so dumb 
to call me Lord and not do what I say. And I wanted to get up in the meeting and say to those people, you want to know why your life's in a mess? Because you're not doing what He told you to do. You're building the wrong foundation. I don't know what else to say. This is the Word of God to us. You and I can raise our hands and we should. And we can talk about the divine glory and the Master and all this great truth and first place in all. But He's not if you and I are not doing what He said. So one thing to say, show me, Lord, tell me, Lord, reveal to me, speak to me. It's another thing to actually do what He said. Maybe some of us tonight are like, Lord, tell me what to do. The Lord has told you. And He's not going to change it the more you pray and fast. Keep praying and fasting, but do it while you pray and fast. Are you okay, guys? I'm not going to complete the task. I love, again, Paul, if I don't listen to Him and do what He said. How Paul... Heard the Lord, keep speaking, don't, and then for a year and a half, he stayed and preached. He did what he was told. He didn't just say, great vision, I'm going to Jerusalem. Some of us hear God and go, eh, not really the way I'm going, I'm going here. The Lord's like, why do you call me Lord? Our unwillingness to do what he says. Selective hearing. We have it all. We all have it. You'll never complete if you select what you're hearing. Never going to finish your race. Never going to complete your task. If you are an approval addict, well, then rejection is your biggest fear. If you are a power addict, humiliation is your biggest fear. If you're a comfort addict, suffering is your biggest fear. But for us who are control addicts, uncertainty is our biggest fear. Control Liz, controllers are always stressed. Give it up. Stop trying to control it all. You are not in control. You will never be in control. And when you give it up, you'll actually be a great follower of Jesus. Leaders are controllers. Stop controlling. Give it to Him. Let Him lead. And you'll be less stressed. You'll be great follower and complete way more tasks going forward. Luke 6, go read it, 46 to 49. It's a great text. Someone said, beware of William Temple. It's not Toza, it's Temple. He said, beware of an undevotional theology, but also of an untheological devotion. I'm listening to the preaching, and people are saying God doesn't want, and there's no price, because we're trying to get people in. There is price. If we are preaching a theology that requires no devotion, it's not the Bible. But others are all about devotion that's not biblical. Make sure it's biblical devotion that we're talking of. Number five, quickly, no unity. Man, this is probably the thing I've seen most people fall out of the race when there's no unity. Or not complete the task. Quit. Give up. Stop completing the task when there's no unity. The battle is blazing, friends, probably like never before. Unfortunately, we're fighting the wrong battle. We're involved in all these fights we were not called to. And it's causing more and more people to stop finishing their tasks. I'm done. I've known one of them close to me has just shut the doors of their church and resigned from ministry. Can't fight the fight anymore. Tragic. Why? Burning out. Why? Because no unity. No one's in agreement. Everyone's fighting and bickering. And I'm telling you, we've got to come back to fighting for unity. We in our togetherness better fight for unity. 
I, I've said this about teams. I think there are five things every team should fight for. Number one, fight for unity. We love to quote Psalm 133, and it is a great quote, a great text. Bless, uh, what does it say? <laughs> I better just, uh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like a precious oil. That oil speaks of anointing. We all want more anointing. It's like the oil. You want anointing? Have unity. Poured out on the head, speaking of authority. Running down the beard, maturity. Down of Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Sinai, unshakable. For there the Lord bestows, commands his blessing and favor. You want the blessing and favor? You ain't going to get it if there's division everywhere you go. We've got to contend for unity. Fight for unity. At the same time, the second fight is fight for diversity. Somehow we think unity is everyone's the same. God help us if we're all the same. We're not called to be the same. We're nothing the same and we should never be the same. So unity is essential, but diversity is as essential. Every team should fight. You're a weak team if everyone's like you. And if you, want, if you want to know if you truly are about diversity, look at your team. Most of them are like you. You're not about diversity. I'm not saying for the sake of diversity. I'm saying recognize the difference and celebrate it. This team I lead is very diverse by God's gift and grace. I wish they were all like me. This job would be a heck of a lot easier. But not, very few are, but same heart, unity. But as much as we fight for unity, we better have diversity. Fight for it. Keep people free. We hold tightly to our call, but loosely to the how. Fight for diversity. Fight for each other. Guys, each other. I mean, are you fighting for one another here? We're watching people fall out and fall away. I don't know about you, but I want to fight for you and I hope you're fighting for me. We are co-laborers, not co-workers. We have a shared future together. When you fall, when you have moral failures, and then whatever happens, it's real and it's there. But it's not like a gunshot. It's like a cannon. Shrapnel wipes many people out when a leader falls. We've got to help each other and work each other and Cry out for each other. Be honest with each other. And if God puts something on your heart, phone that guy, even if he's your pastor, and say, I'm praying for you. And are you okay? And let's cry out for one another, man. I hear about someone struggling. I don't just say, oh, God, sort it out. I'm, can I help? Why? We need to fight for each other. Every team should be fighting for one another. Even in the diversity and the stuff that we've gone through, fight for each other. Now, the angels rejoice, the Bible says, when one comes to Jesus. Heaven rejoices when one comes to Jesus. Well, I want to tell you, the devil and his demons rejoice when one leader falls out of the race. Fight for mission is what every team should be fighting for mission. You know that those who've served in the military will tell you that a bored soldier is a dangerous soldier. They end up hurting each other if they're not in the battle. We now haven't got a mission. We end up beating each other up. We're not bored. We're soldiers together in this army together, fighting mission together, getting on with it. So let's push people towards mission. This great pivot in COVID-19, you know, it wasn't 
just to get the church online. The pivot was to get the church out. Somehow we think it's all online and we're out. No, no, God wanted to get us out the building, but not online. Got to get back to mission. Fight for our shared future. Every team, I used to put in there for a future, a shared future. I have no desire to keep anyone part of anything, but I want to tell you this. God's linked us, and if He has, then we have a shared future together. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than your issues. It's bigger than your opinions. Bigger than your being overlooked. It's bigger than how you feel and do I fit and am I celebrated and is my gift recognized. It's bigger than you, and you might have moments like me of that, but if you are generational like God's called us to be, God doesn't think in weeks, months, and years. He thinks in generations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I've watched men and women take offense and move away from us because of their not being recognized enough by me or us. And they've literally taken their ball and gone home. And gone and started their own game where no one wants to play because they're not called to have their own game. But here's the danger in that. They have generations to come that have no inheritance with us when God put us together with a shared inheritance. I mean, there's been moments in COVID where I wanted to just write you all off and not anything to do with you by what some of the stuff you're doing. But there's a shared inheritance that I want to fight with and fight for. Because my children's children's children, if Jesus tarries, are going to walk in those generation and future together. So just the point being, fight for our shared future. It's together. Like it or not, if God put us together, let's celebrate. Quickly, I am landing, I promise. Unmet expectations, I have to say that. I think that's one thing that stops us completing the task. Unmet expectations. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When your heart is sick, you do not complete the task. You just stop and quit. But it goes on and says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I've seen people in this season stop and not complete the task because of unfulfilled expectations. Don't quit. Not the race, the task. Who cares if people show up or not show up? What's God called you to do? Don't give up. Number seven, unresolved hurts. Oh, I could stay there, but I'm not going to. Hurt people, hurt people, period. Wounded leaders wound people, period. Deal with your unresolved hurts, because if you don't, you will not complete your task. Number eight, underlying issues. We've got to guard our priorities. The underlying. Friends, I want to tell you, I've connected with people where there's just this underlying issue that keeps coming up. And I watch them become further and further from us and start wanting to quit what they've been called to. Deal with your stuff. I don't know how, I can't deal it for you. And this underlying stuff, get it sorted out. (sighs) Number nine, unfulfilled in your call and your walk. When you're unfulfilled in the calling of God or the walk you're walking, you'll never complete the task. I think like Paul was able to say, I'm content but not satisfied. There is a restlessness in God. We're an apostolic people, a a going and sending. There is this no settling down. But what I do want to say is there's also an unholy restlessness. 
And if we don't know how to differentiate, I think we respond to restlessness in an unholy way. Where we are not fulfilled, therefore I'm moving to the next thing. Rather than, my life is worth nothing to me. We've got to come back. Well, I'm not getting the fulfillment I want from ministry or from this. I deserve more. I should have more. Friends, it's so easy. Unfulfilled in my call, you just close the door, shut the door, and guess what happens? You do not finish the task. We have seasons of that, but it's part of the package of leading. The last point is undermining His power and our response. I think too many undermine the power of God, but also our response to what God does. God seems to always work through people. I wish He didn't. I mean, I love this thing. We had that discussion on revival. Remember, and how are we going to have, and listen, revivals. But it seems like we want God to do it all. You do it, Lord, and we kind of, we'll join it. The Lord's like, no. I have my role to play, which is major 99%, but you have a role to play with your 1%. And until you bring your 1%, I ain't, it's not going to all happen. And so my thing is this, we undermine His power and our response to His power. What you are doing is incredibly significant if it is what God's called you to do. Therefore, complete the task in order to walk into the next thing. Let's close our eyes together. We've been very patient, but this is an equip. We're not going to drag anything out. We just, just want us to respond where we're at so tomorrow we can move into the new and the next. I think the text that has held me through this crisis or whatever we've been through is Psalm 32. I love the the Passion Translation says this, Psalm 32, verse 8. Just hear this. It says, I hear the Lord saying, I'll stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So do not make it difficult don't be stubborn when I take you where you've never been before. Don't make me tug you or pull you. Just come along with me. There are many unknowns and many things we're not certain about. There's some of the old that is bringing into the next season. There's some new things. But whatever we give our attention to, let be led by the Spirit. It's not take on everything everyone wants us to. Let's finish and complete some tasks because they matter to God. That's why He assigned them to us. Let's not be quick to move from until we know we've finished. This is a key word for us to be more effective. Don't jump to the next until you've finished the now.
But just go with Him. Trust Him. So across this room, Lord, I, I just pray for my friends. Some are lead churches. Some are in business. Some are students. Some are starting out. Some are planting. Some have been leading for many years. Some are, I don't know, everyone in a different place. But one God, one King, assigned to us tasks that matter to heaven. May we not just be focused on finishing the race, but equal emphasis on completing the task. Where tonight we have felt to stop and quit over it, if it be your will for us not to, and it's not finished, breathe life into it again. Give us that value again tonight. May we be leaders who complete the task. May I be more effective in completing the task assigned to me. Convince us tonight, please, my King, that what we're doing matters because it matters to you. Even if no one else sees it, it doesn't matter. How can we ask for more if we're not faithful with what we've got? But there is more, and you want to give us more. But tonight, tonight, we come back to, I want to finish tasks. See to it that you finish the task to which the Lord has assigned you. That's the word of the Lord to us tonight. See to it that you complete the task. So just would you ignite that in our hearts tonight, King Jesus. Thank you for trusting us with tasks that have eternal value to all things. Fresh release, faith to do what you've called us to do. Tired and weary soldiers battle tired, tired here. Battle bruised and oh God, would you just, may we walk out of here our heads high. The wounds of the past, the people who've thrown rocks, real things in ministry. But for the King, my life is worth nothing to me, but to you it's worth everything. Thank you for this amazing group in this room, amazing people who are serving you as best as they can. But may this be the most fruitful season we've ever had. As we play our part, as you do what only you can do. Help me and us to complete the task, but finish the race. We bless you, Jesus, in your glorious name.